Hey, we've got a special service today. Pastor Celia Gothier, our ministry admin, we're calling her right now. She's served in basically <laughs> uh, almost every role here at the church because she's got multiple skill sets. Very excited to have Pastor Celia sharing her testimony, sharing some lessons learned in her life, and encouraging you. So without any further ado, Pastor Celia. Thank you. I'm going to share some of my testimony and just some of the stuff God has done in my life and where I've come from. And so I want to start out with Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So I talk about this scripture because throughout my life, there was a lot of different times where the, Satan can come in and he causes doubt. Did you notice how he did that to Eve? He asked her a question. Are you sure that's what God said? And he asks it in a way where he already knows the answer. And it caused a little doubt in Eve. And then she's like, well, he just said this. Well, that's not true. You're not going to die. You should eat it. And he made her look at that tree in a different light and to question the things of God. And that's what he likes to do to us. And so when I'm going to reference that throughout my testimony and some of the lies that I was believing, some of the lies that I was living in. So some of you guys know me as Pastor Celia working here at the church. So I just want to go back to when I was a child and just kind of move my way up. When I was a kid, we used to go to church. If we visited family, we'd go to the Hibbing Assembly of God. When we would visit, it was probably every other month, maybe every, every month for a while. And that was about the extent of church when I was a kid. And then when I grew up and I was in high school, I started going to youth group with a friend of mine. And I remember in school, some of the kids in school and some of my friends, they were into drinking and partying, but I never was. And they always used to call me the church girl. And they would make fun of me for being the church girl. And I knew I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be that person that was into the drinking and the partying. And But one of the things I realized is I just thought that the Bible and God was just a list of rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. I didn't have that relationship with God to know and respect that that's what he was asking of us. So when the time came and I got in a relationship with somebody... And I got a new group of friends that were drinking and doing drugs. After a while, I found myself doing all that stuff I said I didn't want to do. I'm in the middle of this. I'm drinking. I'm being brought home by the cops because I'm out of control and drinking. And my life is spinning out of control. I don't know where to go from here. I go back and forth. I go with my friends. I go back to the boyfriend. I go back with my friends. And I'm going back and forth and I don't know how to get out. And I lost a lot of friends during that time because, of course, when you're a senior in high school, your friends don't understand all that stuff that you're going through and what's going on. So I lost a lot of friends. So I'm at this point in my life where everything is spinning out of control. I don't know how to get out. I don't know how to move forward. I don't talk to anybody about it. I had a carpal tunnel surgery, 18 years old, a senior in high school, and I've got these bottle of painkillers. And I think that's what I'm going to do. Go to the store, buy some more pills, go to Jay Cook and decide I can't live this life anymore. I don't know any other way out. 
And as soon as I took the pills, I knew I didn't want to die. And I got scared and I called my mom, told her what I did. I drove home and the ambulance was waiting there for me. And since I was so far away from home, they had to just watch and wait. And thankfully, as you see, I'm here today and I made it through. But that's going to be one of the lies that Satan is going to tell you, that your life is not worth it. The chaos is there. You can't get out. The only way to get out is to take your life. And I'm going to tell you today, I like to stop here and say, if you're living in that, if that's how you feel, please talk to somebody. Find somebody. Find a friend who's going to work through that with you. Find a counselor that's going to pray through it with you. Find somebody. Because that's a lie that Satan's telling you. You have never done too many things wrong. Your life is not too much chaos to walk through and get out of it. But there's so much of that today with suicide and people feeling like they're stuck and they can't get out. And that is the biggest lie that you're going to believe. And so then I move on with my life and I continue drinking and drinking becomes the way I deal with things. And so I'm in the bars and I'm just drinking and doing whatever I want to do. And then I, I end up in a relationship. I get pregnant and then we get married because that's what you do when you get pregnant, right? And so that's what we did. And then we end up in this marriage that's just not good. And I realize I don't want to be in this marriage. I don't want to be in here anymore. So we get divorced, and this is a crazy divorce. We are yelling at each other. We're screaming at each other all the time. So many hateful words back and forth. And one of the things as I walked back and started going through this testimony to share today, I realized that I'm just searching for love, just trying to find maybe someday I'm going to find somebody who's going to love me. And I keep doing that. And when we were talking about this in youth group, we talked about the void, And we have a void in our heart, and I was trying so hard to fill this void. But there's only one person that can fill that void. And until we figure that out, we are going to keep on trying to fill it with the world. So here I am searching for love, out of a nasty divorce, drinking all the time, and I find another relationship. This is hard for me to sometimes share because I realize I keep doing the same thing over and over again. And so I get in a relationship, we move in together, and I get pregnant. It's the pattern that I was following. And then things go sideways. 27 weeks pregnant, things hit ahead. We weren't getting along. Things were happening. And I realized, oh my gosh, I can't do this again. I can't be in another relationship that goes this way. And so I ran. I went away. I moved out. I ended that relationship. And about a week later, I was at home celebrating my birthday with my mom and my sister told them something was wrong. I was bleeding, 27 weeks pregnant, and I need, we need to go to the hospital. So we go up to the hospital, and they do a bunch of tests, and they find out that I'm in preterm labor at 27 weeks along. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about this time, because I'm going to show you that even though I wasn't following God, I hadn't picked up a Bible in years, I hadn't prayed, none of that, no relationship at all. I was probably as far away from God as I could be, but during this time, he showed up. So I want to show you guys that no matter how far gone you are, God's going to show up. So we go in there and 27 weeks along and I'm in preterm labor. So they send me to an ultrasound specialist and she starts looking at the baby and she says, there's something wrong with your baby. He's got club feet. There's fluid under his skin and we don't think he's going to make it. We don't know what's wrong, but he's probably not even going to open his eyes. I can remember the time she would push on my stomach and my stomach would go up and down and he didn't move. So it was a week long of this, going to ultrasounds, getting pumped full of drugs to stop the labor, and it was finally a week later, and I remember calling my mom, and the drugs weren't working anymore. I said, Mom, you have to get up here because this baby's coming. So my family and my friends all come up there, and it came time for the labor, and I got to pick two people to be in the room, and I picked my two sisters. And I realized, looking back, how strong they had to be to sit there with me, 
hold my hand, knowing we have no idea what's going to happen when this baby is born. The doctors come in the room, and they ask me probably a dozen times in that one day during labor, are you sure you want us to take life-saving measures for your baby? We really don't think he's going to survive. And I just said, yes, I want you to take life-saving measures. Do what you can, because I don't know what he's going to be like, but I want you to try. You have to at least try. And they asked me again and again and again and again. So when he was born, the first thing that he did was open his eyes. And God gives us those moments to hang on to, because they said he's not going to open his eyes. He was so small. He was about two to three pounds, depending on the day, because he was had all that fluid under his skin. The only way that we could touch him was through the incubator with our hands. We couldn't get any closer than that. He was covered up in that the whole time. So we were in the NICU and they said that he had fluid under his skin. He was kind of like stiff as a board at times. And the doctors didn't know why this was happening or if there was what the reasoning for it was. And throughout those few days, it was like this up and downhill battle. He was doing good. And then you hear the beeping. If you've ever been in the NICU, the beeping makes you panic because you don't know what's going on because all the machines are going off. And so he would go down and the beeping and they would get him back up again. So it was like this roller coaster ride and you never knew what you were walking into the next day. A couple days in, they did an x-ray and realized he had fluid in his lungs and they needed to drain that. So they poked a hole in his side to drain the fluid from his lungs. And what happened was the doctor said that sprung a leak. So it took all that fluid that was underneath his skin and drained it all. And that was the first time he actually started looking like a baby. And those were our few days of hope that maybe he's going to make it out of this. Maybe he's going to make it. But after a few days, that hole closed up and he started building up that fluid again. His face is more swollen and his hands are more swollen. And he started building up that fluid again. And then the next day, the doctors came to us and said, there's a hole in his breathing tube and we need to change it out. We have no idea how the first person did it because they were a specialist here from the cities, but his throat is so swollen from all that fluid that we don't think we're going to be able to switch it out. And if we can't switch it out, then there's just nothing else we can do. I remember going to bed that night and crying out to the Lord and just pleading for my baby's life, Lord. I don't know where we're at or why we're here, but I need you right now. And when I woke up the next morning, I was filled with peace. And when they say it's peace beyond understanding, it's because there's no explanation for it. I can't even tell you today how it happened. It was just that peace over me. And I felt like God saying, it's time to let him go. And But I had peace about it and thought, okay, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to go into this. We're going to have to say goodbye today, Lord. I got this. And we walk into the procedure. The doctors are there. They let us be there. And they take that incubator up off of him. And they say, hey, since we have the incubator up, do you want to give him a kiss? And realizing that my baby's nine days old, that's the first time I was able to give him a kiss. And it makes you realize some of those things that we take for granted every day that some people don't ever get. They replace the tube and then it worked out. And, you know, and to me, I still was like, I know that something else is coming. And so I was still upset about it. And the doctor comes up to me and says, in two days, I want to have a family meeting. I need you to get your family and your friends together. And we're all going to get in the room and talk to the doctors about what the next step is. And I knew at that point in time that God was giving me two days to prepare for a decision that I didn't want to have to make, but I knew I was going to have to. Went to lunch with my mom and I sat across from her and I said, they want a meeting. And I just cried. She knew I didn't have to say any more than that. She knew exactly what I was talking about. So I called all my friends and my family that I feel like we're going to have to take him off all life-saving measures at that point. So I'm giving you the heads up. And I feel like God gave me those two days to just spend with him and to come to terms with the fact that that was the outcome. As we went into that meeting, 
It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. They said the doctors don't know why or how any of this is happening, but he's getting worse and worse. We don't expect him to make it much longer. We have no idea if he's in pain right now. So we had to make that decision. All our friends and family were up there at the time. So at that time, we thought it was a good time to say goodbye. We chose to take him off all the machines. All my family and friends could say goodbye. We all got to go in there. Another blessing is the first time I got to hold him was when he was taking his last breath. Nurses would come in and check his heartbeat until it was gone. And I got to hold him the whole time and be there. If I wouldn't have done that and let him go, I might not have got that opportunity. All my family and friends all took turns hugging him and saying goodbye. And then afterwards, family and friends started leaving. And the nurses said, hey, do you want to come back behind the scenes and help us a little bit? And I had no idea what that entailed, but I thought, okay. What that entailed was giving him a bath. The first bath I ever got to give him when he was already dead. I got to change him into his clothes that he was going to be buried in. And then I got to say goodbye one more time. I know sometimes it's hard, but I know that God was there and he was giving me all these opportunities that I'm thankful for. It's hard to talk about. But after we leave, the first thing the hospital asks you is what funeral home do you want to go to? I don't know. I've never had to do this before. How am I supposed to pick a funeral home? And so we just looked at the list and we're like, we'll just pick this one. I don't know. So we picked that funeral home. At the time, Samuel's dad had family that was a pastor at a church. They took it on. They just got everything ready for us. We said, okay, it's Monday at 1030. All right, I'll call the funeral home. So I called the funeral home and I said, hey, my son's going to be there. I don't know if he's there yet, but we have the funeral set for 1030 on Monday. And his response was, well, don't you know you're supposed to ask the funeral home first? Actually, I don't. Thank you. And I was just so dumbfounded by how rude he was to me. And I said, well, do you have Monday at 1030 available? And he said, well, yeah. So I hung up the phone and I told my mom, I said, I will not go through a funeral home that treats me that way. I lost my baby and I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I took out the phone book and I found another place, made all the arrangements, called the hospital, told them to send them somewhere else. And we show up at this funeral home to do all of the preparations for it. And this funeral home does babies 18 and under for free. You know, God showed up. They gave us everything at cost. They gave us the limo ride to the gravesite and back at no cost. Their people came and worked the funeral because that's their ministry. I don't share with people who the first funeral home was because I don't believe that's normally how they are. But God led me to this other funeral home. The outcome of this is not how we wanted it. And I don't have any questions. They did autopsies and never found out why. So we have to live with those questions of why this happened. I don't know. But I have to be hopeful that God had a plan and that I'm going to see him again someday. And that's what he gives us is hope for that future. And I like to tell you guys this story because at the time I was living my life, I was probably the furthest away from God than I'd ever been. Spending time at the bar, passing out, doing things I don't remember, going home with people I don't remember. I hadn't picked up a Bible in years, but when I was in that hospital room and I asked God to come help me, he walked me through every single step. He held my hand every single step of the way. He didn't just leave me there and say, I'm sorry, you haven't talked to me in years. You haven't been here in years. He showed up because that's what our God does. He shows up when we don't expect him to. And this is the point in my story where I really, really, really wish I could say God showed up and I lived my life for him after that. But I didn't. I put up another wall and I continued down this road. And it was even a worse road of drinking and destruction. I hurt so many people. I did things that I am not proud of. If you were to talk to some of the people that knew me back then and you told them I was up on this stage speaking as a pastor, they'd probably laugh at you and say, there's no way. 
that person is up there now because of all the things that I did, all the people that I hurt. I walked out of that hospital room dating somebody because that's what I did. I ran to find somebody. Maybe this person's going to love me. And that didn't, that relationship didn't work out. And so I just kept drinking. And then I met my husband. I met him in a bar and that's the life that we lived for a while. And then I moved in with my husband. I got pregnant and then we got married. Do you see the pattern? <laughs> that is what I do, apparently. <laughs> Didn't see the pattern before. I see it now. And so I we moved in with him. I got pregnant with Sierra. And then Pastor Mike and Trinette came to town to talk to people about Cloquet Church opening here. I wasn't supposed to be at that meeting. It was supposed to be my sister and my mom. My mom said, hey, why don't you come with us? We're meeting. And it was Assembly of God Church. And I thought, I know Assembly of God. I used to go to that. I know that. So the church hadn't opened yet. It was opening in October. I had Sierra in August. And I remember the moment I decided I was walking down the stairs at my house, holding Sierra in my arms. And I thought, I'm going to that church. That's what I need. I'm going to that church. So I told my husband, I want to go to that church. The church is opening. I want to go. And he said, okay, if you're going to go, we're going to go as a family. And so we started coming here. And that's when God started really working in my life. I found a family here at Good Hope. I found people to come alongside me and to love me, and to show me what a real family was like that just loves you no matter what. Got pregnant with Michaela, so it was about three years of being pregnant or breastfeeding, so I couldn't drink. And I say that I was too stubborn, so God knew I needed a little bit longer to get out of that. And I started working here, just helping in the nursery, doing those things. And then I moved to go downstairs and help in children's church. And that's when God put the conviction on my heart that you can't be out drinking and living that life and going and teaching those children. Because I didn't just go out to the bar and have one drink. I went out and I didn't remember what I did the next day because I don't know how to go and just have one. And that was what I was using as my crutch and how to deal with things. I didn't want to do if something I didn't want to deal with and then I just drank and then forgot about it. And so God put that conviction on my heart not to drink anymore. And I can say that I've been sober for eight years now. Because God brought me out of that. And it wasn't, some people have this one aha moment for me, it was a gradual working through stuff, going through stuff. And then the last time I shared my testimony was about eight years ago. And I found out I was pregnant with Charlotte. And someday I'm going to go into more detail about being pregnant with Charlotte. Because at about 20 weeks pregnant, there was complications. And I didn't sway because God said, you're okay. So I had to walk in the peace. And someday I'll share a little bit more of that testimony and how prayer works because I had so many people praying for me, fasting and praying for me. And the outcome of that story is Charlotte is seven years old in a week and she, she came out of it. So God shows up even though we're not there, even though we're not in the great place. And then when I was going to be a pastor here, it was back in about 2015 that I started going through the process. I got credentialed in 2016. And I remember going through to be a pastor and you guys, I just told you guys a little bit of my story and people were coming up to me and saying, who do you think you are? Did you not see the stuff that you did? How do you think that you can become a pastor? And that's another lie from Satan that he tried to put on me. And there were times where I almost fell for it and almost believed you're right. I don't know. Who do I think I am? And then I realized that God forgives us. And when he forgives us, our past is our past. I am not that person anymore. I am a new person. He makes us a new creature. He takes all that stuff and we let it go. We don't have to hang on to the stuff from our past. And we don't have to listen to those lies. Not in, they come from your, in my head. They came from people that were close to me. 
who do you think you are? But I didn't give in to those lies. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing up here today. And another one of those things when I was coming to be a pastor was my divorce. When you're divorced, they make you do some extra stuff and jump through some extra hoops. And I was like, okay, all right, we can do this. And you have to submit letters from friends and all this different stuff. And then one of the other things you have to do is you have to go to the district and you have to have a meeting with three of the top head people from the Assemblies of God district. Before that meeting, there was lots of lies coming at me. Don't do it. You got to bring your husband with you. What if, who knows what he's going to say? Okay, you know, what, what are they going to ask you? What if they ask you hard questions that you can't answer? Just all of this stuff was coming at me. And there was a time when I thought, maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe I shouldn't go through this credentialing process. Maybe I shouldn't keep pushing through. But then I showed up at this meeting with the three top people in the district. And I walked into the room. And one of the people in that room was a pastor from Hibbing Assembly of God. He was the one who brought my grandpa and saved him and brought him out of alcoholism. So he was so excited that somebody two generations down from my grandpa was walking in the room to become a pastor. He hugged me and just was so excited. And he was, he changed the atmosphere in the room. And so when God calls you to do something, he's already set the path. Don't let those lies stop you from doing things that God is calling you to do because those are just lies. So don't listen to the lies. If I would have listened to the lies, I wouldn't be standing up here today. So when we had the song a few years ago playing, is Reckless Love, where God leaves the 99 and he chases down the one, he chased me down. He kept on. I didn't always listen. He'd, I feel like he was tapping me on the shoulder so many times and I was like, hey, how's it going? And just moved the other way. But he didn't give up on me. He continued to work in my life. He continued to, to keep coming back and saying, hey, I'm still here. And the picture that I got, I don't always see pictures. I know some people, that's their gifting. It's usually not mine. But he gave me this picture while I was listening to this song, and it was this pit that I'm in. I'm covered. There's dirt all around me. I've dug myself here. I've made the choices to get me here. When I look around, all I see is darkness. How am I supposed to get out? I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out. And what God showed me was, all you have to do is look up. Because he's standing at the top of that pit with his arms stretched out, just waiting for you to look and say, Lord, I need you. And when you make that decision to say, God, I need you, he pulls you up out of that pit. And you are no longer in the darkness and now you're in the light. And once you're in the light, in the song, it says he's breaking down walls. When I was in high school and I tried to commit suicide, I put up a wall. And then when I was in my next relationship, I put up a wall. After Samuel died, one of the walls I really wish that I hadn't put up was I put up a big enough wall that I didn't let the dad of Samuel grieve with me because I thought, I can't let you in. You're going to hurt me again. And so I put up this wall and I pushed him away. But there was nobody else that understood our grief that could have walked that grief together. I can't go back 13 years and make those changes, but it was a wall that I built up and another wall that I built up and another wall that I built up. And I just keep building up these walls as I go throughout my life. And then I don't really want to let people in. And so once God put me in the light, he started breaking down these walls of mine. And one of the walls that he broke down was that love. Because I looked around for love everywhere I went. I remember at one point in time saying, my husband, when I met him and we got married and we started going through hard times, I thought, yes, I finally found somebody who's going to love me forever. And God spoke to my heart and said, that's not possible. I'm the only one that can love you forever. And it was that moment of, oh, wow. And God filled that void. So now when something happens with my husband and maybe he's mad at me because I did something or maybe he's just not really acting like he likes me, 
I don't fall down or I don't put up another wall. I'm not affected by what he says or what he does because I'm so filled with God's love that I know that if I continue walking in that, God's going to work everything out. So he started breaking down the walls and then he starts tearing down lies that we're believing. The lies that you're not good enough. Your past is too hard. You've been through too much stuff. Those are all lies that I was believing. Sometimes we have lies that are spoke over us by people. Sometimes it's spoke over us by people that we don't even realize and maybe they didn't even realize they spoke it over you. And God wants to tear down those lies today. He wants to take them and he wants to show you them. Sometimes when those lies surface, it's hurtful and we have to walk through it. It's not always easy. Years ago, I had a lie spoken over me that I'm not good with money. So for years, I just walked around thinking I'm not good with money and not even trying because why would I try? I'm not good anyway. And about five years ago, God broke down that lie and said, why don't you just look around? Or why do you think you're bad with money? Who told you that? And so I started working on my finances. And now five years later, I'm at a good place. And I realized it wasn't, that's not me. That was something spoke over me. And I had to break down that lie. And God wants to break down lies in your life. He wants you to be free from that and not listen to the lies of the enemy. So I have some I am statements. Today, God wants to break down your lies and find your truth. So when people were telling me, your past is too bad, you can't do that, you can't come out of that, how can you be a pastor? God says that I'm set free. He said I'm transformed. I'm washed, sanctified, and justified. I'm a new creature. When Satan's telling you that the anxiety and depression is what you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life, God says, I have power to control my own thoughts. I have peace beyond understanding. He doesn't want you to walk in these lies anymore. He wants you to find your truth. He wants you to let go today. I have another bookmark here, and your identity comes from what people say about you. Have you guys lived that before? Have people tell you you're not good enough? I had to walk through that one. You're the behind the scenes person. You're not the person that goes up front and speaks. But my identity doesn't come from what people say about me. My identity comes from what God says about me. And God says, if I called you to be on this stage, I'm going to equip you to be on that stage. So I'm up here today, not of my own power, but of God's. God brought me here today for a message for a message for you guys. And he has equipped me to be here. And your identity comes from what you have done. My identity back then didn't come from what I have done. I couldn't go forward and do more to make up for all the stuff that I had done because it doesn't matter. Your identity comes from what God has done for you. He died on that cross so that you don't have to make up for your sins and do a bunch of stuff to be free from them. He wants you to be free from them today and not think that you're too bad. You've done too many things that God just can't use you. God can use any of us. If he's using me right now, I can tell you he can use anybody because this is just not my comfort zone being vulnerable with you guys and sharing my story, showing you where I came from. I made mistakes throughout my life, but God doesn't judge me by those. He wipes me clean. So I am an overcomer is another one. He wants you to overcome what's been spoke over you, maybe strongholds in your lives. Sometimes these are strongholds that come down from generations. I know alcoholism was, and it's hard to admit and say that I was an alcoholic, but that's what I was. But you can overcome those things. You can be set free. I am complete in Christ. I don't need anything from this world because God makes me complete. I am loved. God loves us for who we are, not what we have done. And God loves everybody the same. There can be somebody else who's doing the same thing as I was doing. And once he brings them up into the light, they're exactly where I am at now. They have the power. And I think another lie that I had to fight through this week is if you're going to stand up in front of people, you're going to be attacked all week long. You're going to have a real rough week before you stand up on that stage. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to come through this week and have a really tough week and go through this stuff. So last weekend, I had a couple of things coming at me. 
And I felt like God was saying, these are just distractions. And so I shared with some friends and I said, ah, I feel like these are distractions. And so I want to pray that any distraction that comes at me, that I either hit it head on and deal with it, not let it affect me, or that it doesn't even make it to me. And it falls before it even gets to me, Lord, because you are the one in control. Why are we letting Satan tell us he is not? Sometimes I think we think he's on the same level as God and he's not. The battle's already been won. He's not the one that has power over you. You have power to speak over that. I want you guys to find the lies that you believe in. Maybe they're not even something that you even thought maybe you were believing. Sometimes the lies that come up in me are ones that I never realized I had. And God sometimes works on us a little at a time because we can't handle it all at once. I encourage you guys and challenge you guys to find somebody. But pray that God's going to show you these lies that you've been believing. And then I want you to replace that lie with the truth. Wake up each morning if you don't believe it yet. And you look in the mirror and you say, I am set free. And you do that every day until you actually believe it and you feel it in your body. I am forgiven. You just keep telling yourself, I am forgiven. I am loved. Find the truth that is opposite of what your lie was. Find a friend that isn't going to sit there with you in your yuck and your negative, but who's going to say, hey, let's pray about this. Let's find your truth. And somebody who's going to speak truth into you. We need people to speak truth into us, not the lies. When we were at NYC, one of the speakers spoke on this, and he said, if Satan is able to take our identity, he's won. Let's not let him win today. One of the things he said to say is, who told you that? God doesn't say, hey, look at you. You haven't done nothing good in your life. You just need to stay there. God doesn't say, go ahead and live in that anxiety. He doesn't say, man, you should just be depressed forever. And I think sometimes with COVID, we get stuck in our houses we get stuck with not surrounding ourselves with people. And then Satan has that open door to come in because we're not spending time with God and we're not seeking the truth. So I'm challenging you today. Find a friend. Let God tell you what those lies are you're believing. So let's pray here really quick. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your spirit here today. Thank you for your truth and your love. Lord, I pray that the lies, they just come right to the surface. And I pray you work through those lies. You work through the hurt and the pain and you make it for good and you replace it with truth and that we are so filled with your spirit and your love and your truth that people are going to see the difference and people are going to ask about you because we've been, went through these lies and we found our truths, Lord. We thank you for your love today. We thank you for your peace that you give us as we walk out today and we just thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, I tell you what, that's a powerful message from Pastor Celia. The thing I want to make sure that you know, everybody's been through their stuff. Just because somebody's acting nice and they try to dress nice and they put on a smile doesn't mean they haven't been through their stuff. And this is true for just everybody that you meet. And so have some compassion on somebody. They're a little crabby today or something like, where are they coming from? What's going on in their lives? Have some compassion, have some love. I just want to say thank you to Pastor Celia for being so upfront and from, for sharing from her heart and really touching our hearts. So thank you, Pastor Celia. God bless. Have a wonderful day.